0: everyone. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. We hope that you find encouragement today as you listen. Amen. Well, I have a voice this morning and I was wondering yesterday afternoon if I was going to have a voice this morning because I was in the nosebleed section at Camp Randall. I mean, we're talking, I was so high up that they had oxygen, you know, because of altitude sickness. Not really, but almost. And I was immersed in a... uh, a large, large tribe of Iowa fans, okay? And they're very loud. They're really wonderful people. We had great conversations, uh, and, uh, and they're very friendly, but they're very loud, and I just felt that wasn't right to be at a home game and being out shouted. So my cousin uh, from South Carolina and his son, who invited me to the game, uh, we screamed our lungs out, and, uh, and, uh, and we won. And so that's really all that matters this morning. And, uh, and I'm pretty impressed that in that weather, uh, I had the coldest feet. I, I just, for some reason, I had the wrong shoes on. And it's like it came right up through the soles of my shoes. And uh, so I have frostbitten feet. At least, I, not really, but uh, it felt like it yesterday. But anyway, it's good to be here. And uh, you know, this past week, there was kind of, uh, there's kind of some sad news. Uh, uh, there was a, uh, uh some some breaking news actually that a, a very popular Christian comedian uh, was accused of some some inappropriate behavior um, uh, with with various uh women, uh, those of the opposite sex and the allegations were serious and uh, and he immediately owned them and repented uh, wrote a letter to uh, one of the uh, the outlet news outlets and uh, uh, expressed his his uh, his contriteness his His uh, sorrow and uh, asked for forgiveness, and uh, and he immediately uh, uh, canceled his future tour dates. I guess through the end of the year. And this, I just was kind of tracking a little bit what's going on. And 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 even I noticed that there was a TV, a cable major cable network or outlet or whatever we call it that was going to host a uh, uh, a program uh, that he had put together here this this fall, and they've got that on hold. So some serious serious stuff. It wasn't like uh, he, he said, she said, it was actually he owned it and he said, I'm going, I've am i been going through some, uh, some counseling to, to deal with some issues in my heart and my life, but this is a sin. And he identified it as a sin. And I share that this morning. I'm sorry to go from laughter at the 75th row at Camp Randall to something so heavy, but it really lines up with where we're at in our journey through John this morning, very strategically, I believe. And I, I just want to pray that the Lord uh, would speak to us because I, I, when, when calendars align with uh, major contemporary outbursts in our culture, I just like to pause and say, God, what are you, what are you trying to say to my heart? What is he trying to say to, to your heart? So Lord, I just ask you to be with us this morning as always. Thank you, Lord, for just the opportunity for us to gather in your name, uh, many of us here today. And Lord, thank you for the beautiful uh, songs of praise that were all about you, all about the cross all about uh, the glorious work that you've done and are doing in our lives. And we just uh, thank you for this opportunity to gather. Pray, Lord, that you'd minister to us by your spirit through these words and our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. So it was sad, it was shocking, it stirs up emotions when you hear those kinds of news reports. And uh, here's a question, as followers of Jesus, how should we respond when we are made aware of someone's failure, okay? Now, when it's close to us, our response, it really can be a tender thing. Uh, And I'm talking, too, just about all the noise we hear out there and all the things that happen throughout the day. But it could be up close and personal. It could be just kind of that that news slash gossip type thing, you know, tabloid stuff. How, as Christ followers, are we supposed to respond to these things? Uh, And I think this morning, John's gospel gives us a brilliant, brilliant uh, answer to that question. But just first, let me bring it into context. Uh, Last week, we were talking about the feeding of the 5,000, and it's so unique that in the Gospel of John, John writes that Jesus says that it was almost Passover time. Uh, The other Gospels don't say that. John does. Now, there are three major feasts in Judaism uh, in Christ's day, and these were traveling feasts. They were festivals where you'd travel from from all around Israel and around that district of the world, that area of the world, sometimes hundreds of miles. People would come maybe further to be a part of one of these three feasts. The first kind of happens the first part of our year in our calendar, and it was Passover, right? That's when we have what? Easter. You're right. Easter. I know you all were thinking it. You didn't say it, and that's okay. I'd rather you not talk back at me, okay? It really gets me weird on Sunday mornings. I start talking back at you, and then it's just, this isn't supposed to be a, 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 a monologue. It's a, it's a sharing, okay? So um, uh, anyway, so this is, uh, this is what's happened. That's Passover's around that time, and that's when we celebrate Easter. It's when Jesus was crucified. And then in the springtime in June, there's Pentecost, and that's also pretty impressive for the church because that's when God, that's when the Lord Jesus, God the Father, God the Son, chose strategically to pour out his spirit upon a young, fledgling group of Christ followers. And the church was born on this historic festival of Pentecost in our June, okay? And then in the fall time, and that was kind of a planting season, and they'd, they'd, they'd connect that with other things. And, and then there was a harvest gathering, and they called it the Feast of Tabernacles or Feast of Booths. And Tabernacle was really to remember... Uh, what God had done for them in, uh, and preserving them for their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness after they left uh, uh, Egypt, okay? And the, the tabernacles or the tents, uh, they were uh, what they stayed in in the wilderness, okay? And it's just, it's a picture in, in that celebration. If it, it went from seven days to eight days, from Sabbath to Sabbath, and every day was filled with some kind of a festive um, uh, ritual, religious experience, and they would take water in the temple, and they would pour it out each day during the Feast of Tabernacles, kind of illustrating the picture of what Jesus, or of what God did for providing supernaturally water in the desert, all right, water in the wilderness. And there's other things that took place, like there's lights that the kind of uh, were were. were, were Kind of identifying and giving a a picture of of uh, in the outer courts the the candles that would be lit there and the lighting for how God provided a light coming out of Egypt at night to lead them uh, fire by night and and uh, and uh, a cloud by day so there are all these things they remembered and their festivals would bring to memory all of God's faithfulness in their lives so all that to say in John chapter seven uh, we see that. Uh, John's, uh, Jesus' brothers, these would be his half brothers, all right? James becomes a leader in the New Testament church, and we read his uh, letter. James in the New Testament, but he became, uh, tradition says, and, and the Bible says, the book of Acts, that he became a leader in the New Testament church, and so, but these half-brothers weren't necessarily followers of Jesus before his death and resurrection, but they were encouraging him, hey, why don't you head down to the Feast of Tabernacles? It's, it's that time, and, and uh, it's, it's a big celebration, and Jesus said, no, I'm not going to go because it's, it, it's not time for me. My time hasn't come. Well, what he was speaking of is... Um, Six months later, Passover would be there and that's when the actual crucifixion. So that kind of gives you a timetable of what's taking place there. Jesus was six months from his crucifixion and this wasn't the time for him to give up his life or lay down his life, okay? So that kind of gives you, but he still ended up going to the, uh, to the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, he just kind of put on a, you know a, a wig and one of those glasses with a nose on it or something no, I'm not sure about that. We'll have to ask him someday. It, uh, it, but the point is he went kind of went uh, on the dl he went kind of below radar, all right, and he went in there, but by midweek he's kind of been recognized and he's starting to teach and um, and there 's even a point there, and I just share this as a little bit of, a little bit of extra meal this morning, but there was even a point when the whole celebration is over. It starts on a Saturday, a Sabbath, and it ends on a sabbath, Saturday, a sabbath, and they come and they the last time they pour out the big water kind of representing god 's provision and maybe tying into God's faithfulness in the harvest because it's time to harvest grapes and and olives in Israel at that time. And so he kind of maybe tie in the spiritual with the actual practical agriculture. And they pour out that last vase, of that big thing of water, but it's empty on the last day because they're waiting for the Messiah to come. They're waiting for... What they're believing is to be their deliverer and the one that the Old Testament scriptures that that's all they had then is they're just, they're just waiting for God's messenger, his, his, the prophet, the, the Christ, the, the king, the, 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 the ultimate king of all kings, right? And so at that point, Jesus, you can see this in John chapter 7, he stands up as they pour out the empty, you know, the, the waterless deal and they kind of go through that ritual and he stands and he goes, hey, you know what? You want water? I've got water, if you, if you drink of it, you'll never thirst again. And, and, uh, and then he speaks again of, of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, living water. And it's really some cool things taking place if you track it. And maybe you have a study Bible as you're reading through the Gospel of John. Everything that Jesus was doing and John's giving us is very strategic to how the people of that day were aligning themselves to God's answer for their world. And the fact is, um, uh, he's got an answer that nobody could dream of, and it's just six months away. Okay, so that brings us to this morning. And, uh, and, 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 and I want you to see the scripture because it's chapter eight and the verse begins in verse two. So the uh, Feast of Tabernacles is over. And this says at dawn, so the next day, probably Sunday, our day, Saturdays, there's the Sabbath in Judaism. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts uh, and, and, where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. And the teachers of the law And the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? All right, so lots of observations here. First of all, imagine what's taking place here. This woman is caught. In, 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 uh, in, in the act of adultery, it says, and they bring her. I don't know if she has a sheet draped around her or she's had time to, to, to get dressed or whatever. They bring her and they put her right in front of God and everybody because Jesus is the son of God. You ever heard that phrase? This is in front of God and everybody. Well, It was literally in front of God and everybody that day. There's Jesus. And, and, and can you imagine the humiliation? Can you imagine uh, the shock in her life, the fear, maybe the terror? Because... They, she kind of knows what's taking place here, and she's in Israel, and she understands what the law teaches. You can only imagine the humiliation and the embarrassment, and the shame. Like I said, but how about this? Don't you all? Is the first question on your on your mind? Where is the man? Adultery is a tango, and it takes two. Right, right. And, it's, and so something is for sure missing and there's a hypocrisy already at work here. You bring one of the two forward and I just, I mean, it's half the picture's missing. And then how do you just catch someone in this sin? This isn't something you do you know, out on a street corner if you're dealing drugs and you get caught. In the back this is usually always a private thing done in, in a private place. And how, how long... How long uh, were they aware of the, these are questions, of the liaison? Because this just kind of happens. This just so happens, they find a woman who's caught in the act of this sin. And, and, and so I'm thinking, you know, one time I was channel surfing, and I was sad that I stopped, but there's a, there's a show called Cheaters, okay? And don't ever tell me you watch this. This is the worst of all worst uh, reality shows because essentially the higher – private investigators uh, to, to figure out if somebody is cheating on somebody's spouse or boyfriend or girlfriend. And of course, it's perfect for our age. Of The, the shockier, the better, right? Don't use that word. I don't think it's a word, all right? The, the, the more outrageous, the better. I mean, if, if you can just see what's in that, sometimes they have to kind of blur the faces when they finally bust into the room or the location where they're hugging or kissing or doing who knows what, you know, and, and, and then people start yelling and, and the, 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 the husband or the wife comes in, starts to have a fight. It's just, it, it's like Jerry Springer on steroids, all right? And I almost wonder, you know, did they have a cheaters in first century Israel, was there some kind of private investigator? Did, did, the, did, the, you know, did the, the, the Pharisees have, you know, the, I know they had their, their temple guards. Did they kind of have their, their PIs who were just kind of working around the community trying to see who was pushing the envelope and who was, who was going overboard? I don't know, but uh, it was, uh, uh, and, and what was their motivation? You know, what, was there a war on immorality? Was it, was it a good thing? What, were, they make, were they there to make marriages strong again? Was it some kind of a movement there in Israel? Well, actually, no. John tells us what it was. They were using the questions as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him, Jesus. They pulled this woman out of a sinful situation, one that nobody's supposed to see. Somehow they figured and found out that she was there, and they pulled her. They didn't care about the woman's life. They didn't care about her reputation. She was simply a means to an end, all right? Her life was like a piece of bait on the end of a hook. You hear me? Seriously, you go fishing, you get the bait, you throw it out. They're trying to catch Jesus in some kind of a, you know, in, in some kind of a, a legal accusation or, 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 or somehow try to put one over, uh, the, over him and try to, try, to, uh, uh, try to bait him, essentially, is what they were doing. And their, their goal was to derail Jesus, not to restore a broken life. So if he shows mercy, it's kind of like a damned if you do, damned if you don't. If he shows mercy, then he's not obeying the law because this was part of the law. There were certain things that were a, a death penalty in the Old Testament. And here's Jesus, God in flesh, and they're trying to trick him. They're trying to trap him. If he shows mercy, he breaks the law of the greatest prophet that they've had to date, Moses, who got these laws from God and if, and if he does the opposite, if he actually goes ahead with it, picks up a stone and says, okay, guys, let's have it, let's throw away, then he's withholding mercy and they can prove that this man isn't the man of love and care and compassion that his reputation was speaking of. So either way, they were trying to snag him and they were trying to get him, and, uh, and they'd worked pretty hard to get to that place. It was a trap. They've set the trap. And again, the bait was a broken woman. But see what, here's the thing. They messed with the wrong rabbi, all right? You don't mess with Jesus. Jesus is the perfect balance of grace and truth. Okay, so if I had a balance thing here, and I had 25 pounds of grace and 25 pounds of truth, and I put those on that, you know, Forgot the name of it, you guys know what it is. It's a scale, oh yeah, I knew it was a scale. I think they even have a bigger word for it. And it just, boom, right at center, why? Because perfect balance of grace and truth. Jesus is the perfect blend of grace and truth. We were pouring candy into a big 25 gallon can to blend all of our candies for our harvest festival trunk or treat and we didn't wanna just have chocolate or lollipops at different levels. We wanted to blend it all together. And so we had five of us around the, the, the trash can and uh, one, two, three, pour, and we all began to pour. Imagine a vase right here and the perfect balance and, uh, and amount of grace and the perfect amount of truth. And you pour it in, you don't have, doesn't matter when you pour it in because it's gonna all be blended together. That's Jesus Christ. And they messed with the wrong rabbi that day. They tried to snag the wrong Christ because he was the only Christ. And he came with God's heart and he came with the heart of the Father. We've seen that every week, haven't we? Uh, The Father and I, if you've seen the Father, I do the Father's work. And here we're seeing a blending and a beautiful portrayal of grace and truth. In fact, they say, where did that come from, Pastor Brian? The beginning of John the Gospel, the Gospel of John. Verse 14, remember that beautiful prologue? The word, Jesus, became flesh out of heaven. God became flesh and he made his dwelling among us and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace. Say that, full of grace and truth. Say it again, full Full of grace and truth. I I didn't hear all you, I never do this, this is fun. Say it, full Full of of grace grace and truth. truth. So what's that mean? I mean, he's filled up. There's nothing more. It's to the top, and it's the perfect measure that God has created in this person. And this is about, this is what's going to take place here in, the, in this verses that, that, uh, that follow because we see Jesus responding, and here's what it is in verse 6. He says, it says, Jesus bent down, and he started to write on the ground with his finger. Now, this is great because here's why it's great. There's been more written about Jesus Christ than any other human that's ever walked the planet. Did you know that? Check it, fact check it. There's been more books, there's been more songs sung, there's been more plays written, there's been more pictures painted about the person of Jesus Christ than any other human that ever graced this globe. You know something? He never wrote a book, he never left us a poem, in fact, the only place we see that Jesus wrote is right here, and we don't know what he said. It's we're kind of we're kind of what what it just doesn't seem fair, does it? So that means we get like pastoral license or Jesus follower license and we can just kind of make things up. All right? So here's my theory. I think he was doodling. In fact, I think he was doodling because he was so frustrated he was so angry at what was taking place in front of him at this moment. Like, again, this is mine. I'm not saying, you're probably not going to find this in a, in a commentary. And if you do, they took it from me, okay? So, so I think he's just, now stay with me here because this is really messing you up because you guys already think you know the answer and none of us do because it doesn't say what he wrote. But I just think he's, he's just kind of doodling. And I think really what he's doing is he's counting to 10, because he's so mad. You thought it was crazy when he cleared the temple or, the, or should, the tables in the temple. Jesus is about to go robo on these guys. I mean, this, this is outrageous what's taken place. This woman is still stand, probably half clad, probably tears streaming down her face in absolute brokenness. And they don't care about her. They wanna trap him. She's a piece of flesh, a piece of bait, and they don't care about her humanity or her brokenness. And I, I think he's just, I think he's just giving that, 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 pregnant pause. Just, just maybe, Father in heaven, give me grace right now. Because if there's ever, if there's ever been, a reason to nuke some religious nuts, it's right now. <laughs> I know he didn't say that, but I, I wonder if he wasn't thinking it. Do you know what I mean? You know what I mean. <laughs> My theory is Jesus was. Uh, He was doing a breathing exercise and trying to draw a nice picture to take his mind off of the ridiculousness that was taking place in front of him. Okay, that's my theory. Don't don't go try telling anybody this week that that's, 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 that's what the Bible says. That's what Pastor Brian said this morning. But Jesus knew their motives, and he had a and he and he he could see. He was constantly able to read, and he's God. And he he could. And it was very obvious too what was taking place. So he didn't didn't have to be a rocket scientist or Jesus to know what was going on there. And the greatest sin that day, and I, I believe this, and I, I'm not sure I can prove this because I don't know that God measures our sin. I think sin is sin, and it's it's um, and there's a cure for sin, and it's Jesus Christ. But I think the greatest sin that day was not the adultery. It was the it was that blatant, heartless destructive legalism that was being communicated and and lived out in the lives of those religious leaders, right? But here's what happened, okay? And they kept on on questioning him. He straightened up and said to them, let any one of you or let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground, okay? So here's what I, here's... Here's my theory. Again, it's all the in theory. That's maybe when he started to write issues of the heart. Remember in the Sermon on the Mount where they're trying to figure out the whole, the big thing in, in Jesus' day was not maybe some of the popular issues and sins of our day. It was uh, divorce and adultery and, um, and, and these things that take place, which we're seeing lived out here in the life of this woman. And Jesus said, listen, you, if you even think about it, if you even think on it, so there's, we we can commit sin without committing the sin, and Jesus is saying, the standard's really high. But, well, it was yet to come. The cross is there to see us through and to bring freedom in our lives. But um, this is, this is, uh, this is what's taking place in, in this moment now, and I think probably at that point he's writing some of those things down. He's maybe. Maybe it could have been, maybe lust, maybe greed, unforgiveness. You can just in your own mind, just slot something that you're struggling with in there. Maybe, maybe Jesus did write that down because he continued to write. and It seemed like once he made this statement, uh, they stopped asking questions. And I just love it, don't you? Let anyone who is without sin be the first to throw a stone. So when I hear of a fellow Christian or non-Christian crashing like this past week, and I want to say when we hear, what should our response be? Maybe first grab a good-sized stone. Because stoning, from what I understand, probably in the case of Stephen, the New Testament Christ follower who was, was stoned to death in the book of Acts, and it still happens in some parts of the world, where stoning is, is, is a, a relevant means, can you believe that? A relevant means of capital punishment, a capital offense. You take the stone. What's kind of nice about stoning, if you're a legalist, okay? Here's what it is. You take the stone, and you're, there's a mob mentality, and you get to throw, and you realize this is a very painful way for a life to be ended. So man, all your rage, all of your unforgiveness, you know, all, all of those emotions that the Lord tells us Were to deal with and not take out in in a physical fashion. You get to take the rock and you get to throw away. And the good thing is you don't know if it's your rock that killed the person because you're one of many rocks so you really sleep good at night when you get to stone somebody, all right? But it wasn't God's design. It wasn't Jesus' plan. Uh, And and in this moment, uh, I always think of... uh, all the things that happen in my world and in your world when somebody's caught in a sin, when somebody's caught uh, uh, in some kind of a, a, a way where it's, okay, this, this was not supposed to be found out and now you're in trouble. And it's so easy to become legalists and to begin to kind of point fingers, not throw literal stones, but begin to throw accusations. And we have, all oh, we have wonderful means to do that. We can tweet it. We can probably post something on Instagram. We can put it on Facebook, you know. Uh, we, we can just, and we can just kind of let all of our frustration out. And here's what I'm saying. If we follow Jesus Christ today, it's not to go on Facebook. It's to go face down and begin to pray for the person, okay? All right? It's not to go out there and just talk at the water cooler or wherever you communicate, but it's to take that burden and that, even that frustration, because maybe it affected you, and somehow take it, to Christ and release it there and forgive and to, uh, and to uh, uh, not throw stones and not make accusations and not hold bitterness or unforgiveness. And I think that's, that's, that's one of the many takeaways that I, I, I draw from this thing this morning. But then some of you are thinking, but Pastor Brian, what about Paul's letter to the Romans? You know, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Yeah, it sure is. I mean, that's, that's a given. I mean, in the Old Testament, it could be literally death. That was, that was uh, it could be a punished by death and a capital punishment. But always remember when you're reading Jesus, when you're reading the New Testament, uh, uh, observe the butts, okay? Because the rest of this passage is what, or Scripture is what's so beautiful. The wages of sin is death, but the gift the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. The gift, the free gift, a lot of translations say. God is uh, lavishly giving us Jesus as we turn to him, as we commit our lives to him. And what that is, it's life that he gives us, not the death penalty. And he restores us and he heals us. Uh, uh, the law was designed to deal with sin, all right? And uh, in some cases, there, like I say, it was capital punishment, but grace offers an escape in Jesus and through Jesus, our gift. You see that? That's what's so amazing about the cross. And these people were living kind of right in that middle zone. Kind of, the, the Messiah was there. He was teaching these amazing truths. He's, he's pouring out revelation from heaven. And it was rocking their world because the only standard they had was the law and the prophets and the Old Testament. And what's about to happen in six months is the whole world is going to change through a cross, and through a man who goes to that cross. And we were singing about it this morning. Offers up his life in our place. Wow, that's good stuff. I love the songs we sing on Sunday mornings. Grace offers that escape. And he started writing in the dirt again, you see, and maybe again that's when he began to write those things down. And, uh, um, and look at this. I love the ending. Honestly, this is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. It really is. I just love this story, and I love I love it because, again, it's the identification of who Jesus is. He was the Word made flesh, and he was full of grace and truth. And at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first. The older we get, the more we realize just how broken we are and how much sin has messed us up and how much a Savior forgives us of sin and restores us and heals us and makes things right sometimes. They're broken this side of eternity, but the promise that comes with the life rescued by Jesus. And look at that. One by one, they, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. I like it. Jesus straightened up. He's still kind of looking down in the dirt, doodling or writing, whatever, you know. Um, has no one condemned you? And this is the only time we hear her speak. No one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you. Don't you love this phrase? Go now and leave your life of sin. Go now and leave your life of sin. You know, this, I think, is the secret sauce to walking in freedom. It's not just trying to do good and understanding God has a better standard, a bigger standard. It's hearing the words of Jesus. It's hearing the whisper of our Savior over our souls. Neither do I condemn you. Your neighbor does, your ex does, your boss does, the criminal system does. They all condemn you. They've all got stones. But let me tell you something. I don't condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. I love that. You say, is that sloppy agape? I, my daughters always say that I'm too gracious, <laughs> that I'm just too merciful. But their friend once said, "I spanked harder than God," and I, <laughs> so I don't know where they get that. I mean, there's two sides of me, right? Um, but uh, here's the deal: uh, grace, when it's void of truth, uh, can come up with statements like this. Imagine, and this is what Jesus, by the way, did not say. Hey, adultery, no big deal. Let's focus on the environment. Let's let's focus on whatever you want to slot in there. Let's. Focus on Rome, those dirty dogs there, you know. Let's focus on climate change. Let's focus on feeding the poor. No, Jesus didn't water down the facts. Okay, this is what it says. Let he who's without sin throw the first stone. He didn't diminish. He didn't say, "Hey, hey, that was Moses. This is the 21st century. We don't do Moses anymore. You know, he didn't say that. He didn't diminish the law and the prophets. Although he was going to kind of introduce a whole new covenant, but this was that time in between, that space in between, and he didn't. He didn't. Uh, he didn't water it down. He didn't. Uh, uh, he, he didn't try to minimize it. Minimize it, or say, hey, we all mess up. Let's just forget about the whole thing. He wasn't into greasy grace. He was into whole, unadulterated grace, the real thing, you know, 100 proof. Now, that's extreme grace, void of truth, legalism. The truth is more important than the life that's struggling. The truth is more important than the human heart that's broken and and weeping and and naked and standing there in a place of absolute despair and humility and, and legalism. That pursuit of truth says... We got to take care of this. That's that extreme. But grace and truth identifies the sin, but it does so with humility and with tears. say, hey, but for the grace of God, let me tell you, I've been there. Come on, grab my hand. Let's go to the one that heals us of this. Let's go to the one who forgives us of this Brokenness. Let's go to the only one who can reconstruct and restore our brokenness, and that's Jesus Christ. That's grace and truth. It's forgiveness and it's restoration. Jesus says, "Where are your accusers?" I just love that, don't you? And uh, and then and then he speaks truth to our sin. You know, uh, uh, but, but but he doesn't leave us in our brokenness and our death. He speaks truth to our sin, but he does not leave us in our brokenness to die. Go and leave your life of sin. Go and and be set free. He offers, and I want you to see this, I close. Invite the worship team to come. Uh, Offers freedom. He offers that way out. He offers that new life. If you were to go to that passage where Paul's just plowing through, being enslaved, uh, to, to sin and brokenness and then, and then the transition that happens in Christ, it's prior to Romans 6.23 is Romans 6.21 and 6.22. Some of you are going, are you kidding me, Pastor Brian? No, and here's what it says. What benefit did you reap at the time from, things, uh, from the things that you are now ashamed of your sin? What did we reap from our sinfulness and all the guilt that went with it? Those things result in death. But look at this, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and, and the result is eternal life. That's a, that's a beautiful exchange, isn't it? Let's stand together. Did you hear what I said? You're, you're broken, you're trapped, you're in cycle to sin over here and we give that to the Lord as we submit our lives to Jesus, as we commit our lives to the Lord and we, and we have this exchange that takes place. And it's a beautiful exchange, all right? Set free from sin, have become, gone from slavery. Bob Dylan wrote that song years ago when he was kind of doing gospel music. Some of you are too young, uh, although his music is timeless, all right? And he said, you gotta serve somebody. You gotta serve somebody. It may be devil, darkness, it may be the Lord, but you're gonna serve somebody. And Paul is... You know, that's probably where Dylan got these lyrics. The Apostle Paul says, you were there, you're in darkness, you're slave to this. Now you get to transition over into the absolute best servant of Jesus Christ. And uh, in that, that's how we go and sin no more. We just put our eyes on Jesus and we follow him. What can I do for you today, Lord? How can I be a vessel of yours today, Lord Jesus? Amen. Don't you love how he taught us to pray? Forgive us our, our debts, our trespasses, our sins as we forgive those who are indebted to us, who trespass against us, who sin against us. Forgive us, Lord. He is the, he is the Savior that forgives. He is the one that empowers us to forgive and who release forgiveness to those around us. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for... This amazing story of grace and truth that just screams from the scriptures today, and humbles us, restores hope in our lives. Lord, what a brilliant picture that is of you looking into the eyes of that broken woman and saying, I don't accuse you. I don't condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. Forgive us, Lord, for being the Pharisees who are so quick to pick up stones when somebody in our culture, somebody in our world, somebody in our family falls and hits a wall, crashes. Lord, forgive us for that that, 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 that legalistic uprising where we just want to shake our fists and make it right by our words and, instead of just going to our knees and and, uh, and 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 being broken and, and and in tears saying lord forgive them lord forgive me for my my own brokenness lord tenderize our hearts today we pray jesus soften us take away any hardness lord help us to be ambassadors of grace, conduits of grace and truth in this hour, Lord, as we do our best to reflect your image to those around us, we pray, Jesus. In your name we pray. In your name, Lord, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. For more information about our church, check out our website at www.ridway.church.